Brothers and sisters, let's hear the word together. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testify about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it's true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But, in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Lord Jesus, we now ask that the words of my mouth, the meditations of all of our hearts would be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Please be seated if you would. The last hymn you might have noticed, the last song that we sang might have noticed, this is uh, uh, from our devotional. If you're following along in the Lenten devotional, you will have picked up on that as been part of what we are guiding the church or leading ourselves through as we are learning more and more about uh, the power of Christ working in and through our lives. Uh, I don't know if you noticed when Brendan started playing that song, he stuck his pick in his mouth, and I sat there and thought, how's he going to do this? Uh, spit the pick out when he starts singing, but he handled it uh, uh, quite wonderfully across the board. We are uh, continuing, as he mentioned, on looking at the Apostles' Creed. Uh, again, the Apostles' Creed, eight short statements that the church for centuries literally centuries, has understood as a really great summary of the gospel message that is contained in the scriptures. How do you take the entirety of the scriptures and boil it down in such a way that we can say to somebody, hey, here in eight short sentences is the essence of the gospel message. And so if you had to identify eight different ideas that would be prominent in the Christian faith, certainly the idea of God as creator would be one. Uh, certainly Jesus Christ and all that, cite, fight, cite, all that speaks about Christ would be another. Uh, the Holy Spirit. Perhaps we would talk about the church, nature of the church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins. And today we talk about the resurrection of the body. Out of eight different things that the church finds is important to speak about, the resurrection of the body makes that cut is one of those eight. Well, I think it's important for us to identify what, whose resurrection we're talking about. As we approach Easter, it's very uh, appropriate for us to be talking about uh, the resurrection. And of course, as around churches, churches speak very much so about the resurrection of Christ during the Easter season, and we're only a couple weeks off. So we're gearing up for that. And indeed, as we know, notice from the text here that we just read, that resurrection is, uh, Christ's resurrection is a, a prominent part of the gospel message. But if you're following the creed well, as we just did, uh, spoke it together, you will remember that we talked about Christ's resurrection, that Jesus was raised from the dead in that section that we actually talked about Jesus Christ. When we talked about Christ, we mentioned that he was raised from the dead. 
Here, then, you get to the bottom of the creed, at the end of the creed, and once again, we are talking about the resurrection of the body. And that is because, as some of you are leaping and making sure you understand here, this is not Jesus' resurrection that we are affirming that we believe in, but our resurrection. All of humanity will be raised again. When we say of one of the eight important things that we're going to talk about, and again, this would be a test for you at home to make a list of the eight key ingredients of the gospel message, would you identify the resurrection of the body, your future resurrection, as one of those eight key points? The creed does. When the creed here mentions the resurrection of the body, when we say together, I believe in the resurrection of the body, the body we're talking about is our body, the body that we have as we go into life. And you can see this in the way in which Paul makes this statement. In 1 Corinthians 15, in the passage that we read, if you have your Bibles open, we're looking at verses 12 through 20. Today, this is a classic text that deals with the resurrection as a whole, both Christ's resurrection and what the point of Christ's resurrection is. Listen to how he starts here, verse 12. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection from the dead? Why would people deny that there's a resurrection from the dead? Why would you deny that there's a resurrection dead? Notice what Paul does here. He says, how can the dead, like the, I love the relentless logic that Paul uses here. This is like logic 101. Uh, how can you say Christ rose from the dead and then deny that there's a resurrection from the dead? If there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ died, resurrected from the dead. If Christ didn't resurrect from the dead, then there is no resurrection from the dead. He links the two of them together, ties them together in this constant way. And again, he repeats himself uh, in this forceful sense, making the point very clear. If Christ didn't rise from the dead, there is no resurrection from the dead. But if Christ did rise from the dead, then how can you claim that there's no resurrection from the dead? It makes no sense, because if Christ didn't rise from the dead, then nobody's gonna rise from the dead. And if nobody rises from the dead, then Christ couldn't have, but we know Christ did, therefore we all must as well. Why would people deny that? Well, I think there's always a possibility that people deny it simply because it is such a abnormal event. Here we are talking about the resurrection. Now, we all have a sense of the finality of death. And in our experience, death is final. It is a killer. It is horrific in every sense. The separation for anyone who has gone through, and most of us, all of us have, uh, been separated by death from loved ones. We know that oh, we keep them alive in our minds and, and the memories of family when we gather around. And all that's true, but there's a finality to death that you can't really shake off. It's a powerful, palpable thing. And it's so prominent in all of our lives that it's easy to say this resurrection from the dead thing, I just, it's just, I've never seen it. 
I've never touched it. I've never, I can't even imagine it because I know what happens. I've seen death way too often. I know what death looks like. Resurrection just makes no sense to me. And I believe that the scriptures go way out of their way to demonstrate for us the reality of Christ's resurrection. I believe that it's beyond a reasonable doubt in my judgment and the judgment of almost anybody who takes the time to study the text, study what the scriptures say, that the resurrection of Jesus is absolutely hard to deny. Christ did indeed raise from the dead. And so following Paul's logic here, since Christ did, how can you claim that there isn't? Well, why would people claim that there isn't? Well, there's been a history within the church to identify the impact of Christianity in our lives today. That the power of Christianity is to shape the way I live my life before God, to make me right with God, or to prepare me for heaven where I'm going to go, or to enable me to to live a godly life here upon this earth, or to shape and mold my spirit and my soul in such a way that it is pleasing to God, and that's what's important to him. So as long as my spirit and soul are being shaped by God, and, that's, and that comes through the power of the scriptures, the power of the gospel message, etc., that's what's important. That's the key thing. The resurrection of the dead, that's a, that's a non-issue. That's, a, that's something that maybe happens in the future, but it really isn't that important. And so the denial of the resurrection of the body happens not because people object to it, but overwhelmingly because they pay so little attention to it. And this, of course, is my concern for us. It's something that the church, through its history, has deemed so important as to say this is one of the key eight elements that I want you to keep your hands wrapped around, we spend almost no time focusing upon the resurrection of the body. And I think that's in part because we have misjudged the goal of our life or the final state of what God intends when he created mankind. It's March. And some of you are realizing that March is still a winter month today. Uh, It's also known for many of us in this room as March Madness, that wonderful time where you have basketball. If you're a basketball fan, you know that there's lots of basketball happening all over the place. And I want you to imagine a basketball game. So you're watching a basketball game. You've got two incredibly talented teams on the field. on on the court. You've got uh, uh, folks that know they're athletic, they uh, are smart, uh, student athletes and those kind of things, and they're they're five on this team, five on this team, they're on the court together, and they're playing basketball, and they have everything down about the game except for they don't realize that the point of the game is to put the ball through the hoop. So there's some of them that think the point is running really fast, and they do that great. And there's some of them that think the key is passing the ball really well, and they do that great. And you've got other people that know what it's like to dribble, and they dribble really well. And you're going up and down the court, back and forth, and nobody is paying any attention to the hoop. How fun would that game be to watch? Okay? My concern is 
that so many of us don't know the end goal of the Christian life, and we're like that basketball team that's running up and down the court, playing all the right notes, but missing the goal. What is the goal of the Christian life? Now, the knee-jerk reaction for centuries, although it's much more prominent only in the past two centuries in the Western church, the knee-jerk reaction is our goal is to get to heaven, to be in God's presence. And so what I want to do is I want to live my life here today in this world in such a way that when I die, I, my soul gets to go to be with God. And there being with God, I have attained the, the pinnacle of my existence. But think about it, especially for those of you who know your scriptures well. The Bible never portrays the goal that way. It never defines that our purpose, that our, the intent, that the, the culmination of God's creative energies in your life is for your soul to be in the presence of God. That's not how the Bible speaks. How does the Bible speak? What is Paul excited about? He's not excited about dying and going to heaven. He doesn't talk like that. He does occasionally say, you know, it's better than living here and stuff like that. Being in heaven is better than suffering here upon this earth. He acknowledges that. But what is Paul really excited about? He's really excited about the final resurrection, where we are coming at the end. Why? Because death is not something that we are supposed to suffer through. Death is not something that we all just kind of, that comes upon us all and we all just have to get through it. Death is not just something that we have to put up with in part of our stage of life. Death is the enemy. And the scripture claims that death is what? Put up with? Death is dealt with? Death is suffered through? No. Death has been conquered by Jesus Christ. And so what we have to do is we have to realize that what the scriptures portray for us is a salvation where death has been conquered, not where death is just, well, we just kind of get through that so that we get to the final state where I'm in heaven with Jesus. That's not what scripture portrays. Scripture portrays something totally different, that death has been conquered. What death does to us is beaten, is destroyed. There's a victory over, well, what does death do to us? What actually is the process? When we claim that we believe in the resurrection of the body, what are we talking about here? This is going to get kind of lectury, and I apologize for this. Okay, so what happens? When we die, and unless the Lord comes back in our lifetimes, which is always a possibility, all of us will die. What will that death be like? Now, so many of us have experienced suffering of loved ones where death has been a release, and we talk about it that way, and we think about it that way. And given the enormous sufferings that many of our loved ones go through, I understand that. But that's never the language of the Bible. Because what death does is death tears apart that which God had joined together. 
It is God himself that breathed his spirit into the body of Adam and so that Adam became a living thing. What is a human being? A human being is not just the soul. The human being is just not what's inside. The human being is that joining together of the body and the soul so that a living being might arise, so that a human being might come into existence. And death is such a terrible thing, not because it's painful, of course it is, not because it separates loved ones, of course it does that, and I I don't want to minimize that part, part of death. But biblically, the terror of death is that something that God has put together, your soul, your body, has been ripped apart. And so what happens? Now, the scripture speaks very little about what I'm going to call the intermediate state. That's the theological term for it. The intermediate state. What happens between death and resurrection? It's this intermediate state, and the intermediate state we know very little about. The Bible simply doesn't talk a lot about it because that's not the point. The Bible talks a lot about resurrection, talks a lot about how we're supposed to live our life today, but what in that intermediate state, that gap between death and resurrection, what happens there? Our body and our soul is torn apart. Our body goes to the ground and decays, ashes to ashes, dust to dust. Our soul goes to be in the presence of God. And again, Paul describes that just real briefly at one point. He says, it's better by far than what I'm dealing with today. So when your soul is in the presence of God, it's a great thing. But that's not you. You is your body and your soul joined together by the Lord, created by him to be together. And so that intermediate state where we are waiting and the souls under the throne of God cry out, how long, O Lord? How long until what? Until the second coming of Jesus Christ, the judgment of the world, and the resurrection of the dead. That future moment where God will join together again your body and your soul so that you will live again before the Lord. Because it's great for your soul to be praising the Lord during that intermediate state. It's great for you now as a broken, sinful individual, redeemed by Christ, but nevertheless with sin still present to be praising the Lord. That's great. It's great during that intermediate state for you to praise the Lord, but that's not what you were created to be. You were not created as a soul to praise the Lord. You were created as a human being, body and soul, joined together by the Lord so that you would stand before God in a purified, completely holy sense when the righteousness of Christ flows through us totally and completely and we stand before the throne of God and for all eternity give him the glory and the praise that he desires. Not as a spirit, not as a soul, but as a human being whom God has created. This is what it means for Christians to proclaim. I believe in the resurrection of the dead. We are saying that no matter what, this body that we have right now 
is not some shell that has trapped our soul and as soon as our soul gets to the spot where it's holy enough, we can separate ourselves from that ugly body and it decays in the ground and then our soul is free to be what it really wants to be. No, what your soul really wants to be is joined with a pure, glorified body so that it might, the way God intended, praise the Lord. What does that body look like? What will that, okay, the process of sanctification, what's happening right now in your life, is the process whereby your life is perfected, your soul is being transformed more and more into the image of God. The inside is being changed. That's the process of sanctification that you're experiencing now. The process of glorification, resurrection, is when that same process happens to your body. When the sin, the brokenness, the failure of our bodies are transformed and we receive a new and glorious body, what will that body look like? I don't know. The only real biblical evidence we have to go on is from Christ. What Paul here says later on in chapter 15, read through all of chapter 15, it's a long chapter, but it is well worth it because Paul is constantly talking about the resurrection and the importance of the resurrection, something that we pay little attention to. And Paul is asked, what does that resurrected body look like? And he says, it's, there's a continuity between your current body and your future body. There's a connection between the two. There's a discontinuity. It's different. Imagine Christ pre-resurrection versus post-resurrection. Think in, in your mind, if you know some of the stories of Christ appearing uh, at, at different spots and Christ being able to uh, uh, make his appearance such that it's hard for the disciples even to identify him, those kind of things, there, there's a discontinuity, and yet at the same time, there's a continuity. Christ's body, resurrected body, with the, the nail holes, uh, being able to say to Thomas, stick your finger right here. There's a continuity between the resurrected body and the previous body, and yet there's also a discontinuity. One of the things that Paul uses, he says, think of a seed and the plant that grows from the seed. There's obviously a connection between the seed and the plant but there's also a difference between the seed and the plant. What will your resurrected body look like? I don't know, what age will it be? I don't know, none of these things are, we're not told any of these things in scripture. All we're told is that God intends for you as a full human being to stand before the Lord and give him praise and glory, transformed not just in your soul, but transformed in your body as well. What does this mean? Why is it that Christians should be on the forefront of fighting against racism? Because this body, this material world, this world around us now, and everyone in it is important to God. Because he created it, he redeemed it, and he will resurrect us from it. Christians should be on the forefront of fighting racism because it goes against everything in which the scriptures tell us to be true about the body. It is important to the Lord. Why is it that Christians should be on the forefront of advocating for the unborn? Because God just doesn't want those souls up in heaven 
That can happen if they die in the womb or wherever. God intends for these people to be born so that they might experience the body because the body is that which they will be resurrected with. Why is it that the church should be in the forefront of fighting injustice, in dealing with poverty in this world, in struggling through the material sufferings of so many people in this world? It's all connected to our belief that we believe in the resurrection of the body. Why is it that the first thing we do when we have the joy, and I hope you've had this joy, of having somebody come to know the Lord with you. You sit and you pray with them. Yes, I believe that I, in Jesus Christ, I'm a new transformed person. Why don't we immediately pull out a gun and kill them? So that their soul can go be with Jesus, because that's the great part. We don't do that because that's devaluing the very thing that God intends for us to reflect that created, blessed union that he has put together, our body, and our souls. This is why Christians are to be on the forefront of caring for our world and everything in it. Because we believe in the resurrection of the body. If the only thing that's important is life by and by, off and gone, then all we're doing is waiting till death takes us so we can get through that, so we can get to Jesus. But death is the enemy. Death is the enemy. Thanks be to God that he has been victorious over that enemy in every way so that we collectively can say with every affirmation, I believe in the resurrection of the body, my resurrection, this body, changed, transformed, hopefully thinner, but whatever it looks like, that's the way God created me to praise and glorify him. That's what he has done for each and every one of you. How different would the game be played once the players realize that they're supposed to put the ball through the hoop? How different is the game played if we realize that what God desires for us is a transformed soul, absolutely, and a transformed body that is joined together forever praising the Lord. Let's pray together. Lord in heaven, we desire exactly that. That you would transform our souls through the power of your sanctification. And Lord, that you would transform our bodies through the power of the resurrection. For God, we desire the way you intended us to praise you, to be men and women who praise your name, who glorify you through all eternity because, Lord, of the blessings that you have given to us. Father, we ask that you would uh, ground us more and more in the understanding that we believe in the resurrection of the body and how essential and important that is for us. Lord, make that so in our lives this day, we pray. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, we ask. Amen.